Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from the pulpit of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. For who he is, we love you, Jesus. We bless your holy name tonight, O oh God, and we thank you for who you are. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Come on, let's do that again. Let's clap our hands to the Lord and thank him for his goodness and his mercy. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We bless your holy name and we thank you for your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. I'm going to ask you tonight to join me in the book of John, chapter 3. Thankful for this place. Thankful for not only the house, but the God of the house. And it, I'm thankful for promise. Thankful for not only promise, but fulfilled promise. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I will be in the midst of them. That's not a hope. That's a promise. And he fulfills it every time. Every time that we come into the house. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. It's a very, very, very familiar story, very familiar passage of Scripture. And so I, I know that I run the risk of, well, let me move on. I don't want to, I don't want to say the wrong thing, but I know I run the risk of having people disconnect when we, we see a familiar passage of scripture and we think, well, I already got that. But I, I want to know more. And you you might not hear anything tonight that you've never heard before, but I believe that when the Spirit of God is in the place and his word goes forth, he can illuminate things to us that we've never seen before. He can illuminate in our eyes things that we've never heard before, seen before. And it doesn't necessarily have to come from the preacher. I believe that that that's part of it. But I believe that he can spark something in our hearts that would make us want to go home and study that longer and more and, and, and come to a revelation, a new revelation of who he is, a deeper revelation. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 3, and the Bible reads, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so with that, I want to just speak to you from a very simple title, See the Kingdom. Can we just lay our Bibles down? Can we lift our hands to heaven? Let's ask the Lord to touch us tonight together. Can we do that? Lord, we love you. 
God, we thank you once again for allowing us to be in this house. We thank you, Lord, for meeting us in this place with your sweet spirit. I'm asking you in the name of Jesus to let anointing rest upon us, both me as speaking your word and us as hearing your word. We need to hear and we need to see, Lord Jesus, what you want us to do in this hour. And we stand before you as people that are open, willing, and ready for you to speak whatever you want to speak into our lives. And we give you praise for it. In Jesus' name, you may be seated. I heard somebody say the other day that you can Google just about anything and you're going to get an answer. It may not always be the right answer, but you're going to get an answer. So I thought in study the word kingdom, I, I just I just Googled it to see what what definitions I could find. And so if you if you look up the word kingdom, you're going to find a very varying degree of definitions of the exact word. And so for just the sake of a start, let's just look at some. One says a state or government having a king or queen at its head. Another said anything conceived as constituting a realm or sphere of independent action or control, such as the kingdom of thought. Another one stated a realm or province of nature, especially one of the three broad divisions of natural objects, the animal, vegetable, and mineral kingdoms. And so as I looked through those, I saw one common thread that either as secondary or way, way, way down the list, there would be something that reads sort of like this, a spiritual realm or spiritual sovereignty of God. And so I got to thinking about that, and it just sort of speaks to where we are to me as a society, and even as the world that we live in. You see, anything that has to do with God, for whatever reason or another, it's placed as a secondary or some last priority, if any. But, you know, we, we live in a world that is constantly doing that, so we're not surprised by that. It's my opinion, and, and I, it may be solely my opinion, but I believe that it should be the very first definition you see. <laughs> you see, because it's the, it's the kingdom of God that, that gives life. It's the kingdom of God that gives way for all these other kingdoms to exist, if we can even call them that. It's the kingdom of God and his authority that allows all of these other things to fall in place. And the real fact of the matter is, even though it's a secondary definition or maybe something on the back burner in someone's life, the fact of the matter is there's really only two things that we focus on in life, whether it's conscious or subconscious. And that's the two kingdoms that exist even though we can't see them, even though we can't necessarily touch them or taste them, they, they are there, and, and we live for them on a daily basis, whether we want to believe that or not. There's really only two kingdoms that people in this world live for, and they're not animal kingdoms, and they're not plant kingdoms. No, they're, they're not necessarily seen with the natural eye, but they are as real 
as the next breath that you and I will take. These kingdoms right now as we speak are in a literal battle. They've been in a battle all day today. They'll be in a battle all night tonight through this service. And they'll be in a battle as we lay down tonight and we wake up tomorrow morning. They're fighting right now as we speak for our very attention every day as we live and go about our routines. Simple as that. One of them offers temporary things that will soon pass. And one offers eternity with Jesus Christ. Both of them are ruled by a king. Both of them are ruled by a king. And in them there exists no democracy. It's not a democracy where it's ruled by the people, for the people, by the people. No, these are kingdoms that are ruled by a king. One of them is the king. The other one is a king. They are diametrically opposed to one another. They are polar opposites. But they are not equal in power. The kingdom of God is sovereign. It's greater. It affords liberty, freedom, and peace that results in nothing but everlasting life. The world, the fleshly world that we live in, affords nothing but fleshly lust fulfilled and will only satisfy for a season. And the end thereof is death and destruction. And so I know we know this. We hear this constantly. But I believe that the Spirit of God is speaking expressly in this hour about what I'm talking about right now. It's no wonder that John admonished us from his epistle, 1 John 2, 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away in the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And so with that, that last thing that we just read tells me that we have a choice in this matter. And so we have a choice of what kingdom we'll belong to. We have a choice of what direction that we'll walk and go and who we'll follow. You see, to love something, you must first choose to love it. Love is not an emotion. It's, it's not some feeling that you have, but you choose to love something. And so we can make the right choice to follow righteousness, to follow in the spirit, just as much choice as we have to walk in the flesh. If we choose to walk in the spirit, the Bible tells us that we won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. And we can choose to go along with the crowd or we can take the, la- the road that is less traveled. It's simply up to you and me what we'll do. And so when we take this road that is less traveled, when we seek the kingdom, when we do this, the result will be much, much more rewarding than what this world has ever had to offer or will have to offer. And so that kind of brings us back to where we started in John. I believe Nicodemus made a choice. You see, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was of the three major religious societies of Judaism at the time of the New Testament, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Essenes. 
Pharisees were often the most vocal and influential. Their origin is uncertain, but their movement is to believe to have been grown out of the Assyrians or the Pyrus, Pius, who began in the time of the Maccabean revolt against the Greek ruler Antiochus IV. It was during that roughly four centuries between the end of the Old Testament record and the birth of Jesus Christ prior to the Roman Empire that the idolatrous Greek influence was at its peak in Jerusalem. The first direct mention of the Pharisees was by the Jewish Roman historian Flavius Josephus in describing the three sects or schools of them and how they were divided. The name Pharisee in the Hebrew form means separatist or separated ones. They were also known as Kassidim, which means loyal to God or loved of God, which is extremely ironic in view of the fact that by Jesus' time, they were the most deadly and bitter opponents of his message. And so by their own history, they're separated. They are separatists. But it would seem that the Pharisees were born out of rebellion. But this did not seem so with Nicodemus. Even though he was separated and was a separatist, he believed that there was something different about Jesus and his message. He believed that there was something that he needed to know more. And so he desired so. He might not have understood it, but he wanted it somewhere inside of him. And so he comes to Jesus by night. Now, some historians, some fact finders would say that this is a negative connotation, that he would come to Jesus by night of fear of his own peers or his own peer group, of what they might think of him or what they might do to him. But I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on the positive. (laughs) He went. He went to Jesus, no matter where, where he was or what time of day it was or what the season was, he went. And so if I can just pause here for a second and say this, different circumstances may have brought us all here to this place tonight. Different circumstances may have brought you to the Lord, but what really matters is not what brought you here, but is that you got here, is that you got in front of the master. That's what really matters. And so Jesus comes, or Nicodemus rather, comes to Jesus with a question in his heart wrapped in desire, and Jesus responds as only he can. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, We know that thou art a teacher, because no man can do these miracles that thou doest, except God be with him. Jesus answered and said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, at face value, this seems to be two seemingly unrelated statements. It's not necessarily a question, but it's nothing of the sort. You see, Jesus was never arbitrary. He was extremely intentional about the way he answered and the words that he responded with. He's not glossing over what Nicodemus came to him with. Rather, he's speaking directly to what has been said. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, the word see here does not just mean to physically see. It has broader implications. It does mean to see, 
But it, it goes much deeper than that. The word means to know or to perceive with the senses, to be aware of or have an understanding. It's seeing with spiritual eyes. And so I know we're going kind of slow tonight, and it may or may not pick up, but let's just, let's just lean in and let's see what God would say to us tonight. It's about seeing with spiritual eyes. And so I believe that, and you can write me off, but I believe that what Jesus is speaking to directly in this passage of Scripture was to the garden. What Jesus begins to give Nicodemus instruction for is the remedy for what happened there. You see, when Adam transgressed, he, he made an exchange. He traded one kingdom for another. How do we know this? Genesis 3 and 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall see as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made them aprons. Now Adam was there the entire time. Adam was given dominion in the garden. God told him, you are here, take dominion, keep the garden. He was given certain rights, but he never opened his mouth. He failed at that point in time to use what God had given him, and ultimately it was taken away from him. God was not wrong, and he did not lie to them. And what the devil did promise to them would happen. Their eyes were opened. It did occur. Their eyes were opened, and they realized that they were naked. Yes, that was true. But their eyes were opened to carnality. Their spiritual eyes were dimmed. And they died a spiritual death. And with that, they lost their protection and the glory of God that surrounded them. A spiritual death occurred and an awakening to carnality occurred simultaneously. This has caused every human being born of a woman from that point forward to be born in transgression. At that moment, they became trespassers and they forfeited their citizenship and were deported 
when they were given the opportunity and they were presented with the choice, they chose to sacrifice their rights. And so I said they forfeited their citizenship. They were in the kingdom. They were born there. But they sacrificed every right that they had, and they were deported. And so I got to thinking about citizenship. What does it take to be one? And so this is what I found. I find this very interesting. It might not be interesting to you, and it's very quiet in here right now. If somebody would just say amen one time. So to be a citizen of a state, a country, territory, or kingdom, one of two things must have had occurred for that to be right. Either you were born there, you have had parents that were born there, or you become one by way of process. Adam was born there, but he transgressed, calling, causing us all to be born without, born into sin. I'm thankful tonight that it didn't stay that way. Romans 5, 18 and 19. Therefore, as by one, as the, the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, but by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will perform this. John 1 and 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. But in verse 10, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so that's what Jesus is telling him. That's what he's giving him instruction for. The process in which to become. First you see it, then you understand it, and then you obtain it by getting admittance into the kingdom. Nicodemus saying unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water, and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. 
The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. Canst not tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the Spirit. So Jesus answered him after he argues a little bit with him about this process. And he answers him, Art thou a master of Israel? And know that these things? And so the Lord is saying, if, if you're a master of Israel, you should know these things. But I'm telling you this because you don't know these things. Because what you are desiring to know is not going to come to you by way of some kind of self-help book or some kind of instruction from some TV evangelist guru. No, what you're desiring to know, what you're wanting to understand will only come to you by way of revelation. And the only way to get that revelation is to be born again into the kingdom and let the kingdom get in you. You see, what he was needing and longing for would only come by revelation. The only way to understand it is to get it in us. And so we know we're apostolic. We know that being born of water means that's baptism in Jesus' name. That puts us into the kingdom. And we know that we must be born again of the Spirit. That's the infilling of the Holy Ghost. And that puts the kingdom in us. And just for a side note, I thought this was too cool not to enter in. This is not original to me. But I heard this and I studied it out for myself. But when he said, you hear the sound thereof, being born again of the Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Ghost. That word is a Greek word that is pronounced phone. That is the that is the base word for the word that we have, phonics. It means this, a sound, a tone, and a voice of the sound of uttered words, speech of a language, tongues. There will be evidence. When you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, there will be evidence because the Spirit gives the utterance and you hear the sound thereof. So silence on the part of Adam facilitated the transgression, but the exact opposite is what gets it back. Silence in the garden is what caused the transgression, but when we open our mouths and let the Spirit of God fill us and speak through us, that's what gets it back, and we have that tonight. And so this is God's plan. And this is why the enemy is so adamantly against God's plan. And we're just going to switch gears here and just travel this road for a little bit further tonight. There is a battle right now as we speak of these two kingdoms. And what we must realize is that as long as we live here on earth, there will be opposition to what we believe, what we teach, and what we preach. There will always be stress in the kingdom. Brother McGuire was here this past weekend, and what a wonderful time we had. He spoke to our manna team, and he, he, he mentioned about this, about stress. And what was very interesting to me is that he, he said, as long as we stand between in choice, in a choice, we have a choice to make. There will always be stress. Stress is standing between two objects that are pressing into us or pulling us apart, whatever they may be. 
And so when we're standing in the midst of choice, there's always going to be stress. And so as a world, as human beings, we ultimately stand every single day at two choices. The intersection, the battle between two kingdoms. When God created man, he gave him a job and he gave him dominion. But the exchange that Adam made caused this struggle and it has never stopped and it will never stop until the Lord comes back. There are just consequences to some actions. And that man and that woman and that serpent has caused cursing to come, a, to come along in the world. It's that struggle, that conflict that we find ourselves in on a daily basis. But what we have to do is make the right choice. You see, if we're, if Jesus was so susceptible to temptation, if Jesus was susceptible to the, the, the cares of life, then how much more are we susceptible to that? But I'm thankful tonight that when he was given the opportunity to give up his rights, when he was given the opportunity to sacrifice his kingdom, he didn't do that. The Bible says in Matthew 4, 1 through 11, then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. That speaks directly to his flesh. He was hungry. He had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. But he didn't stop there. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into a holy into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. But Jesus said, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And yet again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain. And here it is. Showeth him all the kingdoms of the world. All the kingdoms of the world. And he said, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. But Jesus said unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And then the devil, devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him, but only for a season. The same is the same with us. The enemy of our soul is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour, and he will use anything anything that he can to circumvent the will of God, no matter your age, no matter your demographic, no matter your racial uh, uh, demographic, your background. He will use anything that he can. He'll use good situations. He'll use bad ones. He'll use anything that he can get his hands on. But what I believe that he uses the most, and this is where I'm headed tonight, predominantly what he does is he offers carnality you see in genesis he's a serpent later he's referred to as a lion and by the end of, 
the Bible, he's a dragon, but his appetite throughout never changes. His appetite throughout is always flesh. You see, he was cursed to eat the dust of the ground all the days of his life. I don't believe that that's literal dust, but I believe that if he's going to consume us, he's going to consume us through our flesh. He always offers a temporary carnal fix. This is what he attempted to entice Jesus into doing, exchanging his his internal given rights for temporary things. And that's where we stand tonight. In this final hour, it it won't be drugs or alcohol for most. It'll just be the cares of life. It'll just be things. It'll just be a want for more things. But those things are are just temporary. They're not going to last. They they will not make it in the end. And so there's a constant struggle that we face every day. Every day, spirit and flesh. And we stand at the cusp of both to make a choice every moment of every day. I mean every moment of every day. There's no time to lay down and rest. There's no time to ease up. We're always in the middle of spirit and flesh. There's a reason why God tells his disciples, therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat and the body than raiment? Therefore take no thought saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added unto you. You see we've got to keep our eyes on the right kingdom. We must keep our eyes on the right kingdom. The choice is up to me. The choice is up to you. What kingdom will I choose to become a citizen of? So earlier we talked about what it takes to be one. Now I want to talk about what it means to be one and I'm closing but not right now so if our musicians would make your way being a citizen implies rights and responsibilities whether you are a citizen of the world your country your state your community, or your family. The rights and responsibilities are different for each community you belong to, but no matter which community you belong to as a citizen, you have the right to fully participate in that group 
and you have the responsibility to fully participate, to be informed about that group, to care for the other members of that group, and to care for the world in which that group lives. You see, when we were baptized in his name, and when we were filled with his spirit, it was not to become a member of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Now, if you misquote me, that's on you. I love this church, and I love this church organization. I love the United, United Pentecostal Church International, and I love Hatchbend Apostolic Church. But we were not baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost so that we could take up a space in a church. We did not take on this responsibility to become a member of this church organization. No, he's done so much more than that. He's made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. No, when we were obedient to the word of God, when someone said over us, Upon the profession of your faith and your obedience to the word of God, I now baptize you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. It was not to become a member of a church or a church body, but you belong to a kingdom. You belong to a kingdom of promise, and we are heirs to that promise. Now, as we speak, we have the right to fully participate in the kingdom. <laughs> we have the right to fully participate in the kingdom. He said, we see miracles. We know that you have to be from God. He said, you got to receive this to see the kingdom. You're seeing miracles, but I'm telling you, this is my kingdom. What you see is my kingdom come. And that's why we're admonished, pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. In earth, so as it is in heaven, we belong to a kingdom. We belong to this kingdom. And we have the right to fully participate. But we also have the responsibility to fully participate. You see, when we entered into this covenant, we entered into the covenant of the king. Now we have the right to walk in his authority. 
We have the right to walk in his royal power, his kingship, his dominion, and his rule. But at the same time, we have the responsibility to walk in his royal power, his kingship, and his dominion and rule. And we must be submitted to it. When we're in the kingdom, we're set apart not to be pious not to be holier than thou, but we are set apart because we represent a kingdom. There's just some places that I'm not going to go because I represent a kingdom. There's just some things that I'm not going to say because I represent the kingdom. There's just going to be some things that I'm not going to participate in because I represent the king and the kingdom. I won't engage in those because I'm under authority of the king and I represent his kingdom. I believe, and this may be just for me, but if it is, just let me have some liberty to speak to me. But I believe that God is speaking in this hour louder than he ever has. I believe that God is speaking to the churches in this final hour more than he has ever before. And don't please don't misunderstand me. God has always spoken. But I believe without a shadow of a doubt that he is calling every believer to a higher level of commitment and consecration. It is time to see the kingdom for what it really is. It's time to advance his kingdom further than we ever have before. It is time to lean in and move forward in this present hour. It's time that we realize that being born again was not just to save you, but it was to give you the understanding and the power for others to experience the same. I don't want to just take a part in this and experience the rights and not assume the responsibilities that come with it. I don't want to sit on a pew and just assume the rights as we stand in the awe of God as he moves in this place and he touches our hearts and our minds that he equips us and, and, and sends us forth and not take my hand and put it in the harvest. It's time that we stand before him open and say, search me, O oh God and see if there be any unclean thing in me. And as we stand together this evening, we stand at this very moment at different places of choice. Everybody in this building right now as we speak stands a different arena, a different area of choice in your life. Whether you've had the Holy Ghost for 50 years 
or whether you've never been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with his spirit with the evidence of speaking another tongue. We stand in an arena of choice at this very moment to either choose life or to choose death, to choose mediocrity or to choose life more abundantly. We all stand at a moment of choice every time we open our eyes and go out into this world of what will I do to make a difference today? Will I see the kingdom for what it really is? Will I see myself for who I really am? You see, we're in the kingdom and we represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords. We have the right to come into this house and lift our hands and receive of God his word, his spirit, his healings, his blessings. But we have the responsibility to walk out those double doors back there into a lost and dying world and give them what we have received in the kingdom. To say you must be born again of water and of spirit or you can't see it and you can't enter into it. But if you do, you join us, not as a church, not as an organization. You do, but in the kingdom, the kingdom of God. I wonder right now, in this place, would you just lift your hands? We stand at an altar of choice. Would you make your way to the front? If you if you want to spend some time talking to God right now, would you stand before him and ask him to search you? Reveal unto you his word. Reveal unto you his spirit. Reveal unto you his mandate. Come on, somebody, lift your voice to heaven right now. Let's feel the weight and responsibility of the kingdom in this house right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.